are listening to the new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's happening, guys? What's new? I am hard at work here at the studio putting together a bunch of brand new episodes, uh, getting uh, a lot of them done at the same time so I can set up a queue for you guys. I'm trying to get these things out more frequently. And uh, while I've been working, I got an email from a new fan, a new listener, actually, uh, a photographer. And he was talking about how much he enjoyed the show, and he sent me over a link to his work. And I checked him out, and his stuff is fantastic. Uh, He is a really uh, great uh, fashion photographer. He's a a new documentarian, um, and uh, he's from Switzerland, too, which is cool. It's really cool to uh, see the power of the internet and see how far (laughs) a guy rambling in his uh, studio can go. Um, And so uh, he asked if he could be on the show. He had a bunch to talk about. He thought he had some really cool experiences that you guys would find interesting. Um, And I said, why the fuck not, dude? Uh, So on today's episode, I am proud to uh, host uh, Maurice Sinclair. Uh, Like I said, he's a photographer, a documentarian. He's been at it for uh, quite some time, and uh, he's got a lot of really good uh, advice, a lot of good tips, and uh, him and I get really nerdy about people, believe it or not, and uh, the power that uh, taking a photograph has with capturing a specific moment in time and putting those memories down for you as the photographer. Uh, So it's turned out to be a really great episode, uh, and I'm super excited that he reached out, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So you know the deal. Put your cell phone on silent, grab that pair of noise-canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process. So, hey, Maurice, thanks for uh, being on the show. Hey, Mike, glad I'm to be here. Yeah, I was very surprised that you, you sent me an email saying that you listened to the show and then you sent me a link uh, to your work, uh, and it's fantastic. Your photography is really great, and that clip that you sent me that you're doing for a documentary is really cool too, man. Thank um, you, appreciate it. Yeah, it's cool. It's like a, it's it's one of those rare occasions where a listener sends me an email and I'm like, ah, fuck, let's have you on the show, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it's it's gonna be the complete opposite. I was like, this guy is gonna be spammed with emails. I think I'm not gonna get a response anytime soon. And then was like, happily surprised you got back to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I I, I don't want to I don't want to uh, kill that illusion. I have shit. I have tons of emails and people asking me every day to be on the show. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, let's uh, because I'm meeting you for the first time and yeah. my audience is meeting you for the first time. So why don't we just sort of dig into some history and uh, tell me what it is you do and, and what it is you love to do, man. So um, basically, um, my my, fu- my full passion is photography. So everything that is around photography. And <clears throat> in the last couple of years, I slipped a little bit into video. Um, I wouldn't say like um, I don't want. I don't see myself as a professional cinematographer, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. But um, 
I just love the medium, you know, for me, it's kind of the same if I would take a picture or a photograph because it's, it's just moving instead of it's like a frame. So, um, I really like to tell stories through movies, like the, the link I sent you with, which was a, a known project. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> that's cool, man. Yeah. And we'll, we'll dig deeper into, yeah, I think I need to warm up a little bit. So the first time <laughs> <doing something like laughs> this. it's totally fine, man. And so let me ask you a couple of questions about yeah. photography. How long have you been shooting photographs? Um, I mean, not counting the years where I just liked it to take pictures. I think almost everybody liked to take pictures at some point in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, but like really passionate about the photography itself must be like eight years. Okay. That's cool, man. Yeah. Um, which is really funny because, uh, normally when I hear this kind of interviews, you know, it's always the same story like, oh yeah, I always love to have a camera and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And, uh, in my case, it was really funny. I was a, a teenager and I mean, of course I liked taking pictures in general, like everybody as a memory, but, um, I had a really like hard time during teenager times. I didn't know like what to do um, with my life basically. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then my, my uncle, which was like kind of a father to me as well was, um, you know, just start something, just do something in your free time. And this was actually really the first thing that popped to my head. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do some pictures. So he's happy. And uh, <laughs> after that, it really started to become a passion and yeah. Very cool, man, and and so that that's such a that's such a great little piece of life of advice that your uncle gave you, man. That's fantastic. Um, and so, have you? So, as you started, were you inspired by other photographers, or did, how did you learn how to do the whole process? Did you just try to figure it out? Like, where did you turn to figure out how to? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I started, and my uncle bought me a, like little like diggy cam, so I was like running around, taking pictures of flowers and stuff like that. The basic thing that every photographer starts. Um, And then, which is funny because I knew that my family has a lot of artists in. My grandfather, for example, was a colorist in New York, um, teaching in video, like uh, color grading. Oh, cool. Um, I think he's retired now. But um, so my whole family basically is artistic. I was into music before that. So at the beginning, it was just really like an outlet to kind of do something in my free time, not knowing what to do. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little bit off the tracks. Um, it's fine. But after that, yeah, it was really Googling photographers, um, of course, talking with my my father and my grandfather. And they told me, oh, you know, this photographer, you know, that photographer. And I kind of came in slowly. I, I heard of this all these amazing photographers from a long time ago, like Ansel Adams and Mm-hmm. as well like the new ones and i just really picked the things i liked and started like developing my own style with the time um so yeah basically this is like how it worked out in my case that's great man and so as you as you started to shoot as you start to pursue it uh for real you know yeah. as you decide that you're going to be a photographer um, what are the things that, that really fascinate you about a photograph? Is it the people? Is it the setting? Is it like an emotion? Like what is it that, that really gets you excited before you shoot? Um, when I just started for real, I was kind of a nerd. I'm still, I still am. So I was really into all these technical details and I loved, you know, to under, really understand um, 
because I loved shooting as well film. I have to mention that in this case. So I really loved, you know, how everything works. Um, and I got really into the technical stuff as well in photography, mm-hmm. which helped me afterwards to understand in more difficult scenarios how to manage a situation. But I think from a creative perspective, what really drives me is the people. I love uh, capturing people. So, um, not just models. Of course, my website is more editorial, commercial stuff. So, um, But on own projects, I love everything that is with humans and people and and stories to tell through photographs. So this is basically my what really let me keep going because I met so many cool people and it was really a, a life-saving job, let's say, like <laughs> this way. So um, yeah. I really found something where I can connect with people and at the same time create art, which I, I loved. Fantastic. And so <clears throat> I, I agree with you, man, because when I started... Um, I started, uh, in photography to teach myself how to be a cinematographer, essentially. Yeah. And I've, t- exactly. I've told that story on the show before. Um, and I started kind of the same way that you were talking about where I was learning the technical stuff and that was kind of why I got into it. Like, you know, yeah, how do yeah, I yeah. set an F-stop? Like what the fuck are lenses? You know what I mean? Like all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then through that process over time, I found that I really loved faces, and yeah. I love the, the, it's an emotional roadmap for me in, in the eyes and the faces. Definitely. Uh, and I'm kind of a really, I'm, I'm a terrible choice to do beauty stuff because I love wrinkles. I love aging and I love lines. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I found that photography actually got me closer to people and actually brought me into other people's worlds and it took me out of my own little bubble and kind of made me into a, the social creature that is speaking to you over a microphone right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely got your point. I mean, for me, it's exactly the same. I, I think I can memorize every people I photographed. You know, if I really visualize that day or I look at a picture in my portfolio, I know everything about that person from that day. I remember how they felt, how was the weather. It's crazy. Like the, I connect with every picture I do. So it, this is as well something I really love about, about photography. You you kind of have a picture that is like a, a little reminder of the whole story, the whole setup, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the day was like. And um, yeah, I think this is something really beautiful. Yeah, it's weird too. It even goes further uh, for me where... I find that when I, whoever that person, whoever that character is that I capture in that moment, it sort of becomes part of my collection. It becomes part of my, uh, part of my, my row of characters, which is interesting. It's almost like if you're a comic book artist and you're creating a bunch of different yeah. heroes that you're continually going to. Uh, and so it's funny when I'll take a shot of someone, like I've shot people like, I don't know, eight years ago. And that image of them is in my mind so hard because of all the time that you spend photo editing, of all the time that you spend looking at the prints and all that. It burns into your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I see that person years later, and I'm like, weird, who's this stranger? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because because uh, I have that moment in time that you're talking about sort of locked down, and that's how I remember that person. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's very strange. It's a, it's a strange way to catalog human behavior. It's a very cool way to try to capture emotion. It's... Um, yeah, you know the romantic side of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean I'm I'm totally with you in in this one, and and for me it goes even you know like <clears throat> when um sorry um what I wanted to say 
Oh, sorry, I just lost the, <laughs> the it's red all, light. It's all, it's all good. Um, yeah, that like what, people that I photograph, you know, especially nowadays that you have uh, social media and everything. So most of the people I photograph, I I follow them, you know, like and like you say, like three three years er, uh, later, I'm still following them. I'm like kind of a proud father, you know. That sounds kind of weird, but like I'm like, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, oh he got this job, amazing. I remember when I I, sh I shot him back then in the studio. He just started out modeling, you know. It, it's you you kind of become part of their journey as well, and this is something I think I think is really really interesting as well. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. I, I completely agree with that. Um, so you're in Switzerland, right? Yeah, exactly. Pretty cool, man. How is the what is the photography industry like in Switzerland? Um, it's really. I mean, let's say uh, there is a lot of great artists, but um. The market is really small for art, you know. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, of course, there's a lot of commercial work, and we have a lot of <laughs> banks, as you may know. And <laughs> <laughs> so, there is a lot of corporate jobs, you know, in, in every area. If it's insurance, um, products, uh, retail, and um, the market is really good compared to other countries in in terms of payment. Uh -huh. um, we still have a lot of money. So, I mean. It had, there was better times, of course, but it's still going kind of well, you know. Um, but it's kind of sad because there, I know a lot of great artists and even my roommate, for example, is a hairstylist and he works uh, on all the fashion weeks and stuff like that. And it's kind of sad that you cannot develop your own creativity until a certain point in Switzerland because there is just no market. So oh. all the good people mostly in Switzerland leave <laughs> after time. He just moved to London a year ago and you you see this happen with a lot of designers and photographers uh almost every every person in the creative work because it's just you're limited to to the paid jobs which is great of course if you you're working but on mm -hmm. the other side there is it's hard to get a community over here to um you know where you can i don't know like to have an like, exhibition as a photographer, there is not a lot of people really interested. I mean, compared, for example, to the country surrounding Switzerland, you know, there is Milan, there is London, there's Paris, and they're all super strong. And we're kind of, you know, the, the polite Swiss people that everybody knows. <laughs> 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 uh, that's interesting. It, but so most of your, when I went through your editorial and I was looking at your sort of fashion stuff, are you getting your models from Switzerland or your models coming from elsewhere? Yeah, 90% uh, come from elsewhere. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is exactly the same. You know, there, we have some good models, Swiss models, but as soon as they start to work, they leave Switzerland because the market is just too small. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, that, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing if, they can, if they're able to travel for their work, but this is what I mean, you know, like most productions that happen in Switzerland for a magazine, you know, the model is from Milan, the hairstyle is from Paris because all the good, good people left. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's it makes kinda, sense. Uh, yeah, it it makes sense. It's the same thing over here in the U.S. Like it, like it's L.A. and uh, New York are basically the hubs. And if you're talent, whether you're an actor or you're a model, eventually, if you if you want to cross a threshold, if you want to be booked regularly, you have to go to where it's saturated. You have to go. Yeah, of course, definitely. to a place that has that stuff. And I, I mean, I've been living in. I live in Boston, so. Uh, for years I've worked with people that are great and you sort of form these relationships and eventually they have to move away, which is like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, um, and it's always but, a fight, you know, that, uh, 
Uh, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. Um, no, go ahead, Ben. There's always this fight with yourself here, you know. I mean, of course you can stay, but then you know you're just working. You know, it's not any more art. You're just like kind of doing, I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, makeup for a TV commercial every day. And then you're kind of, the, the reason why you started, for example, makeup or photography kind of dies. And this, mm -hmm. is, this is the sad part, you know. This is why I think every creator or creative person needs this outlet to to as well do own projects have like-minded people and this is really becoming rare here in switzerland so mm -hmm. yeah i agree i think that's all over the place i think that's anywhere and you eventually need to be challenged and it's a it's a tough thing and you i, I mean you can do a lot these days remotely and you can do a lot with the internet being out there and you can travel for work and all that stuff. But yeah, no, I mean, it's never been easy like that, you know, so it's, it's a beautiful thing as well. The internet's a curse and a, a blessing at the same time. <laughs> Very true. Well, let's talk about, um, I was curious and there's a bunch of things that we want to talk about and I want to get into lighting and I want to get into all that, but I'm fascinated with the human element because of what I love about photography as people and all that sort of stuff. Um, when you, you have a very specific look for the type of models that you use and your models are, um, just either they have some sort of interesting quality or an interesting, uh, face. Like what do you, when you, what is your notion most of the time? Like what is your, what is your fallback when you cast? Like, what are you looking for? Um, generally speaking for men and women or on yeah, generally for humans and, you know, it could be either way. You yeah, know, like, um, I think the most uh, kind of hard to describe, but really to have character. I don't like kind of normal looking people. I mean, it's kind of weird to describe, but I love it. For example, you know, uh, wide eyes or a weird nose or something that just like pops and makes that person unique, um, mm -hmm. which of course every person has their certain thing that makes them unique, but you know, it's everybody has their own taste as well. And so kind of, I just, when I, for example, when I'm on castings, um, especially when you're doing castings, for example, in Milan, Milan is so crowded with models in Europe. Uh, I think it's like the, every model is in Milan. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, of course I travel, but you know, when you cast, for example, a boy or a girl, you know, like 300 people arrive at the casting. So <laughs> kind of after the 21st models you're looking at, you kind of become blind anyway, because everybody, <laughs> you know, has a perfect body. Everybody has good looking hair. So it, it, it really breaks down to that, um, falling in love at first sight, you know, even like, it's like in private life, it just, it kind of clicks with one person. You're like, yeah, yeah I want to photograph that person or that character, or you see something in them that really resonates with yourself. And uh, I think it's mostly that, that I am looking for in models and, and I that love makes... as well the edgy, the edginess. I, li I like edgy people, not too beautiful, not too perfect. Uh huh. That makes sense, man. It's the same thing when I cast for movies and do stuff. It's yeah. It, the casting sessions are the worst, actually, because, <laughs> of, because of that. You're dealing with like hundreds of people coming through, and and you're right. It just you become fatigued, and you're yeah, just sort of looking definitely. at them, going like, "What the fuck is the difference between this person? I have no idea." And you're trying to catalog them all. It's it's a really hard thing on both ends of the table. Like I can only imagine being a person because I've never acted. I've never done any of that. Uh, and I have nothing but respect for people that will put everything on the line and sort of walk in a room and do like a cold ca casting session. Yeah. And you're essentially 
being judged at first appearance at all time, you know? Yeah, so definitely. This is, it's, have, it's, a, it's crazy. Yeah, I have a lot of friends that are modeling. So um, when I hear their stories, it's the same thing, you know, like you're going for a casting for, I don't know, like for a commercial for shampoo and everybody <laughs> has beautiful hair in the casting, you know? And you have no idea what they're looking for. <laughs> you have no idea why they chose the other guy or the other girl. And I think you have to be have a really tough skin to, you know, not feel that it's about you. It's just a person's taste that why he chose somebody. Of course, as well, it's the client speaking in yeah. commercial jobs and what they're looking for. But generally speaking, it must be really hard, you know, to to know it's not about yourself. It's just a person's taste, you know. Yeah, and whenever I talk to to talent, uh, I try to give them the other's perspective. I try to say to them, like, okay, imagine that you're the person sitting on the couch and you're the one filtering through hundreds of people and just let go of all the stress that you're putting on this job. Let go of the fact that you can potentially walk out of there feeling like they're judging you as a human being. It's not that at all. I always equate it to like buying furniture. You know what I mean? Where you're <laughs> you're going out and you're like, all right, I got to get a fucking couch and the couch needs to be a certain size to fit in the room and the walls in the room are this color. So the couch needs to be this color. Yeah, it's, yeah, gotcha. yeah it's the same fucking thing. And um, the, the unfortunate part about it is that our business is such a romantic business uh, and it's such a uh, cutthroat business that people load it up ahead of time with a lot of emotion. And there's always a lot of emotion that goes into casting sessions. There's a lot of emotion that goes into any project that's made. Yeah. Um, and the hard thing is disconnecting yourself uh, emotionally from these things. And if you can examine it, at least from my perspective, if you can examine it uh, at its core, what it is, and it's, it's a, it's a client or people that come together and say, Hey, look, I need to sell this product. So we need to make this product look good. Um, and then as a producer, you're like, okay, here are the elements that I need. We need to figure that out. And it comes all the way down to the actor and the talent. And, uh, if you're someone that checks off all those boxes, then congratulations, you get the job. Um, but if not, then, you know, we're looking for another couch. We're looking for, (laughs) we're looking for a love seat, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And sometimes it's so small differences, you know, like we even one time casted in a casting, there were twins, you know, and we just choose one of them. And they looked yeah. the same, but it was just that little thing. You don't know what it was that just made, okay, it's that guy, you know, just sometimes it's this little subtle, even on an emotional side, you know, because it's like in real life, sometimes you think somebody's a really cool guy, but you don't even talk to him. And mm-hmm. there is other people you think like, oh, I cannot smell this person. And you have never talked a word with that guy as well. So sometimes it's as well, the, the energies that flow in a room and, so, so sometimes it's even that's not even based on on looks. I mean, yeah. it's based on looks, but till a certain point, and after that, it gets as well. Okay, this guy, I like it on yeah. personal uh, on personal preferences or whatever the case is. That's that's human nature shit, man. That's like back to being animals. Where yeah. we're like there are humans, there are people that we love to look at. And there yeah. are people that like you don't have to say a goddamn thing. I mean, look at like Ryan Gosling for God, you know, like <laughs> he's just a guy that can be on screen and not say a fucking thing, you know, and, yeah. and everybody's completely fascinated with him. Um, and you know, he's lucky he's, he's born with that. He's very fucking talented and he sort of works with what he's got. Um, but then there are other people that aren't, don't look that attractive and have to work three times as hard 
They may have to try to find something interesting uh, and convey something interesting. Um, so it's it's tough. I think it's tough all the way around to be talent. Um, and I always have the utmost respect for people that are willing to do it because without them, then we have no photographs. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel exactly the same way. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> all right. So cool. Um, so what do you prefer to shoot? Are you, are you prefer to shoot fashion? Do you prefer to shoot documentary? Like what is, what is your, what is your love? Um, um, I love to shoot. I loved to shoot fashion. Um, it's kind of going away. I mean, it's, I still love to do it, but it's, it became, I kind of became like overburned of fashion. Just, you know, mm. this is, I think the, the, one of the curses of social media every picture kind of looks the same, you know, the weird poses, the weird clothes. Um, so I'm becoming kind of bored of it. And anyway, there is no, I mean, this is the thing like with film festivals, you know, the, the only reason you do a fashion editorial is because you wanted to get it to a magazine and maybe they publish it. And then, you know, you get some credits. It looks nice on your website, um, mm -hmm. which is great, which I think is something every photographer should do uh, work in an editorial way because this really teaches you to not just take one good picture. It's about taking 10 good pictures and all they work together. Mm -hmm. I think this is something that is really important as well in photography, that it's not just always a lucky shot that you're able to recreate stuff. And, but yeah, um, I, I like to do fashion. I, at the moment, I prefer to do more kind of the, the documentary side. I'm, I'm doing more street photography, which is, more for myself it's not uh, for clients of course but um yeah if i can choose i i love to walk around take pictures of of real humans on the street and just in their moment i not everything you know has to be staged and imperfect and so it, it really it's a, it's a as well a mood thing uh, i'm currently planning an editorial i still love to do it but it's just i need as well the real aspect of it because fashion is really um fake in a but in a beautiful way you know because for me a, a fashion editor is like a blank canvas you can do whatever you want you can cast exactly the model you need for your idea or the pictures you want to create so for me it's like a canvas you can with the stylist you can put everything together and at the end you have that image you know it's not not a surprise it's just something beautiful you created but um what i love about documentaries you know that the little little surprises the little people you meet and the interesting stories which is not there in fashion for myself this seems like the perfect time to do some uh, reads for our sponsors for the show and this episode is brought to you by our good friends at Puget Systems. If you're a photographer, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a sound engineer, or if you're just somebody looking to buy a new computer and you go back to that website, back to that giant company and start to price it all out and you just feel like you're going to be in debt with them forever, <laughs> like I did, uh, and you need something powerful, you need something specific to uh, the type of work that you do, I highly suggest you think about building a PC. And uh, I know in the filmmaking industry, at least, uh, that's like blasphemy. Oh my God, I'm not a professional if I build a PC. I mean, who runs PCs? It's just gaming dudes, gaming nerds, and like weird technicians, right? Well, actually, no. 
I mean, we've been going through years and years of brainwashing, uh, you know, and great advertising telling us that uh, the only way that we can ever become a pro filmmaker is if we own one of those uh, special machines from a certain fruit manufacturer, if you will. (laughs) Um, So it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, PCs are... Uh, custom built and I can do it with whatever hardware uh, I my heart desires Um, and you can build them custom like if you have an After Effects machine the hardware that you need for an After Effects machine is a lot different than the hardware you need for a Premiere machine the hardware you need for a Lightroom and a Photoshop machine is a lot different than the hardware you need for a Premiere machine as well so I just when you go to a place that only gives you three options that's a problem uh, and I reached that problem a few years ago and I did the hunt because uh, I could build a PC and so could you. We can go out and buy all those individual parts, but if you've ever done that before, like I have, it's a process of testing and trying things out and doing a bunch of research. And then you ultimately become your own tech support, which sucks. Um, and if you're in the position where you just want to buy something that works, go check out the guys at Puget Systems. They build custom-made PCs that will suit whatever need you have. Uh, And then over the past, I'd say like five years now, they've really transitioned into the creative market uh, because there's been a big calling for it. And these guys are building amazing, giant edit system machines for affordable prices, like ridiculously affordable prices. Um, So if you head on over to PugetSystems.com, they make it very easy for you. Uh, to find your machine. You can actually search by the software you use or that you're going to use. uh, And they'll give you sort of a baseline system that they can then customize for your specific needs. And that's the cool thing about this company. They're a large enough company that they've been around for over 15 years. They have these relationships with the hardware manufacturers. They have relationships with like Adobe. Um, They're doing benchmark tests all the time. They're testing new equipment. They're testing new hardware. I mean, half the time when I read about stuff online and and some hardware specs come out in a new graphics card and they're telling you how amazing it's going to fucking be, most of those specs are are built for gaming because that's their primary marketplace. Uh, And I was surprised to to understand that even though it's a new graphics card, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be faster with these certain programs because they all use them differently. Um, It's a weird science. I only want to put my toes in it, man. I don't want to jump into that. That's why I'm good friends with the dudes at Puget Systems. So check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com and build yourself a sweet new PC. Also sponsoring this episode are my good buddies over at Rule Boston Camera. If you're a young filmmaker, you're a young photographer, and uh, you are trying to keep up on all the new trends, uh, and you find it impossible to purchase every new piece of equipment that the clients seem to want, I would say stop. Stop buying all that shit and go make a good relationship with your local rental house. Rental houses will have all the newest gear. They will test all the newest gear. You can go in and get your hands on it. You can be trained on the shit that you watch movies that are made by. You know what I mean? So, like, go do it. Check it out. Go to your local rental house. And if you're in the northeast of the U.S. and you're above New York City, uh, I would highly suggest you go to Rule Boston Camera. These guys are first-class operation they have tons of equipment um really amazing rental department and uh john rule the guy who runs the place is a solid dude who loves movies loves to make films Uh, i I interviewed him oh god early in the episodes for this show and uh turns out that he he worked on 
uh, what was it? He worked on like Friday the 13th 2 or something. Fucking cool guy, right? So uh, definitely go check out rule.com. Check out Rule Boston Camera. Um, and uh, like I said, make friends with your local rental house because then you can get access to all that new stuff uh, at like very affordable prices. You just bill your client that um, and then you can keep your overhead down and you won't go broke. Stay in the business longer. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's get back to the show. Let's go into the back into that fashion stuff because you bring up a really good point that a big part of editorial is is shooting uh, more than one image. It's shooting multiple images and and having a series of images that a feel like they all fit together, but b showcase whatever the product or whatever the fashion is that you're doing. Exactly. Uh, and that's that's a challenging thing to do is is create a series of photos that feel like they are together but are individual at the same time, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is something, the, the beautiful thing about fashion is the teamwork, you know, because you're, everybody puts their creativity in from the hairstylist to the makeup artist to the, even the model, you know, every model gives her own touch of, of creativity into the shooting. So um, I think this is something really beautiful and uh, really challenging, as you say, because, I mean, of course you get some surprises, but it, at the end, at the end of the day, it, you know, it's still even if you're shooting an advertorial, for example, the brand at the end is going to decide, okay, we want uh, that skirt to look this way and we want the red jacket on on the cover. So at the end, it's not, you're not so free anymore. Um, but still, yeah, I, I, yeah, I really love to do it. And I just think you, everybody needs a, another outlet, you know. For sure, for sure. And so when you're doing those gigs, how much of it, how much of it is prepared for you? Do you, do you like do sketches or do you do mood boards? Like how do you prep for one of your fashion shoots? Um, I mean, if I'm booked as a photographer, mostly I don't prep almost nothing. Um, if it's, let's say an advertorial from a client. Um, but if it's a known project, I'm almost doing everything. So I'm like, um, I'm getting my team. Um, I'm calling my hairstylist, my makeup artist, I'm calling the stylist and, make a mood board in advance and it's like, okay, look, this is what I want to go. This is what I want to go for. I want to create this mood. I want to have at the end, like six pictures. And sometimes we work in a team, you know, like I, I listen to the, the, to the inputs of them and it kind of evolves with everybody's um, ideas together. It becomes like the, the mood board, but mostly mm -hmm. it comes from my, because I have a kind of vision. Okay. I want to create this story. And then everything falls together. But um, on a, on a job, mostly everything is pre-planned. They give me the team. Not always. It really depends on the client. Um, it's funny because a lot of times as well, when I get booked for a job, they're like, oh, I love um, how you shoot hair. And this is mostly because my roommate was is a hairstylist. I mean, he was my <laughs> roommate. He moved to London. So he really was always like, make sure the hair looks perfect, you know, because he needs it for his portfolio as well. And after that, I got a lot of hair jobs because they kind of noticed, okay, this guy is shooting. He's taking care that the hair is looking amazing, you know? Yeah. And I think um, working with a team, especially as a photographer, uh, you have to please everybody wishes, you know, the stylist wants the clothes to look perfect. The makeup artist wants to look the, that the makeup looks perfect. Yeah. So it goes on, you know, and so you're always like, 
double checking with everybody that they're happy as well, you know, not, not just yourself and your your ego and then, no, this is my picture. <laughs> right, right. Because it comes back to that collaboration. It comes back to the fact that you need these people in order to make your images the way you want to make your images. And um, it doesn't help to be a dictator. You know, if you're a dictator, then you're not going to really get the best out of the people that work with you. Yeah, yeah, um, no, that's the worst, and you're never going to get a team <laughs> at the end. Yeah. <laughs> the long run, all the dictators die in this business. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great that you got picked up for the for the hair stuff because your roommate was a hairstylist. That makes a lot of sense, and it's funny how that uh, outside influence really helps shape your career too, which is cool. You know, yeah, no, this is the, this is the amazing thing, for example, about fashion because you get to team up with so many cool people. And, you know, you never know where that is going to lead to. And I think this is something really cool as well to work in a team. That's fantastic. So uh, I agree with your other statement, too, where you're like, everybody needs to have an outlet because that world, the world of selling products, because ultimately that's what most of that is, is you're trying to sell either a brand or you're trying to sell clothing or you're trying to sell makeup or whatever it is. Uh, that world becomes very single-minded, very uh, uninspiring after a while. So yeah, it's exactly. it's good that you have this other outlet. Um, and so the street photography thing uh, really got huge. It's been big for a while. Um, what do you, so what is your deal? Like when you go out and shoot, what do you just have like a tiny little camera and you're just quietly sneaking around and sort of nature hunting? Or are you approaching people? Like how do you do your street stuff? Um, it really depends. Sometimes, uh, if I'm not in Switzerland, I'm more brave <laughs> because kind of, <laughs> I don't live here. <laughs> so I then, ev I, I even bring my, my big camera with me because I just don't care. Um, yeah. but of course, then, you know, the, the people notice you have a camera, you know, it's like, oh, he's got this big black camera. Oh my God, he might be taking a picture. Um, sometimes I've even take pictures with my phone. Um, it's something that I mostly don't plan out. It's not like, oh, I'm going to shoot street photography now. It's just mostly I have my little 35 millimeter um, film camera with me or I have a little Fuji film. So if I see something in the street, I just take it out and snap a picture. And uh, it really depends. Yeah, it's not it's not something like really super pre-planned. So mm -hmm. even if I just have a phone with me, I mean, nowadays the phones are great. For me, it's just to capture this this moment I'm seeing. Yep. Yep, that's smart. That's smart, man. Um, and so let's let's also get into because I'm always fascinated with how other people do things. Let's get into how you do your lighting. So, do you are you primarily shooting your stuff uh, film or are you shooting your stuff digital these days? Um, these days, it's like fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, I really i became i came into film photography like seriously a year ago, mm -hmm. and I'm so fucking impressed. <laughs> it's like literally the quality is outstanding i don't know a single digital camera that comes even close to the quality if you do it right of course um, oh, which is an interesting statement so when you say quality what do you define as quality like what do you what i do mean you of course is a is a personal taste as well involved in terms of quality but you know if um we have in a studio we have a flex tight scanner i don't know if that's a uh, if you know what it is but it's like um it's from Hasselblad. It's a huge scanner that when you scan in the negative, it kind of bends the negative. So it really scans everything without air in between. Oh, wild. Um, 
and when you when you zoom into into a negative when you scan it in there you can zoom forever you know because it's not digital it's it's on film mm. so when you take a picture even with a 35 millimeter film camera if it's proper exposed and and it, you nail the focus i mean you can zoom forever you see every little face hair and of course there's cameras digitally nowadays that are able to do this but then we're talking about fifty thousand dollar cameras yeah right <laughs> more about a, a normal dslr canon camera and i think this is what really surprised me you know that uh, even with a let's say a shitty film equipment the quality mm-hmm. is amazing and if you want to have that kind of quality in the digital age you need huge equipment you know yeah for sure and so when you're when you're shooting 35 that must change uh that must change the way you do your lighting right as soon as you went into film yeah i mean i don't shoot just 35 i just i shoot 35 and 120 okay um so it really depends on on the project and what we're doing exactly um i must say i just shoot film for editorial and fashion i just i don't shoot film for commercial jobs Got it. Got it. So, most do you, of the clients want to see immediately, you know, what we're working on. <laughs> yeah, of course, they're all crowding around the monitor. Or they're, <laughs> exactly. They're, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the little cluster of hell over in the corner. That's yeah. gonna be. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, when you're lighting for film, then yeah. is it different for you when you're doing it? Uh, not really. I mean, I anyway don't use flash almost never. Okay. So I prefer to work with um, with real light or with um, film lights. So as I don't use flash, it's almost the same, you know, I just take out my light meter, check if the exposure is correctly, but it doesn't change very much. Um, That's cool. That's cool. And so if you're using constant light, if you're using film light stuff, you must have to, you're, you're either shooting at um, like a high ISO or you're, or you, you have some pretty big lights at that point, right? Are you shoot, like, how are you able to get your exposures if you're shooting at like, you know, like a hundred film speed or like a 200 film speed, right? You must yeah. have big lights for that. If I'm shooting film, of course. Yeah. I, I, I always try anyway to mix, um, daylight with film lights. So I, I almost never shoot like in a dark studio, um, or I try to. But if it's the case, I just, yeah, I, <laughs> we, we rent a RE light and we just uh, off bounce it from white foam backgrounds or whatever, you know, the editorial, the mood, how it, you wanted to have it. Um, yeah. I, I anyway prefer to shoot with available light almost or to kind of fusion it up and diffuse it and reflect it from or bounce it off. I don't like this, you know, this. When you see like, okay, he flashed on her or the light is coming directly to her face. I mean, yeah. of course, it really depends on the mood board as well. Yeah, yeah. I, see, because I, I come from film. So for me, it's, it's the cinema background. And cinema lighting is a lot different than like standard photography lighting is. So yeah. like I, my, my girlfriend Gina is also a fashion photographer. And she'll bring me in to help her light stuff Um and she'll be like, hey, this is a really great movie that I want you to be inspired by and, and try to do that. And when you're in that scenario, uh, I find with film and cinema, because there is movement and there are other ways to convey emotion through blocking and camera movement and everything else, uh, you can be a lot darker. Your your lighting can be a lot more moody. But as soon as you start getting into sort of like the fashion product kind of landscape, 
uh, they tend to want you to overlight it. They tend to want that, you know, make sure that you can see the fabric, make sure you can see the product, make sure you can see all that stuff. Yeah, of Um, course. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing. And I also, cause I started, uh, working with constant light and, and then I hit a point where I was working with clients where clients wanted, um, you know, finer grain, like, uh, stuff to be put on billboards. And yeah. when you start getting into that game, uh, and, and, lo- and, uh, a lot more depth of field. So you're, you know, opening up your lens over five, six at that point, And you're, you're shooting at like maybe a hundred or maybe at most maybe 400. Um, so at that point you need bigger, bigger lights. And then you start getting into that big light territory and I'll light from nothing. I'll light rooms from blackness to that. Yeah. Um, and once you start dealing with that, then you're like, okay, now it's a power game. And how much power do I have access to? And how many circuits do I have access to? And what is the largest light that I can put on a circuit? And and then you start getting into like generators and everything else. Um, and so I've hit this point with uh, the still campaign where I had to make that transition into strobes. And I had to make that transition into flash photography because it doesn't draw as much power. And it gives you an equivalent output as like a 20k or whatever else yeah Um, definitely definitely and but the the big the big noticeable difference for me between cinema lighting and still and flash lighting are the modifiers like the actual uh light modifiers so like the soft boxes and everything else and i feel like a lot of that stuff on the photography side is is a lot more flimsy um, I remember the first time I set up like a, an octobank, like an actual strobe octobank, uh, and you just sort of use it straight on to a person and you take a photograph to test it and it's ugly. <laughs> it was just like really hard, really ugly. And then you're looking at it going, okay, so this is what a lot of that, when I often look at, at fashion photography and it just seems cheap to me, it's because they're literally unpacking this thing and it's setting it up the way they're supposed to set it up and they're using it as a frontal light. Uh, and it just looks like shit. And I, I found that when I use that stuff, I actually have to bring in more modifiers. I have to bring in more bounce materials. I have to bring in more diffusions. Yeah. I have to try to take that light and really soften it back down to that consistency that uh, constant light had, you know? Yeah, this is really interesting. You're mentioning that because the the most re- the the biggest reason why I don't yet like to use flash is that even at the lowest power of flash, it's still mm-hmm. too much light. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is now a, a lot of like from Broncolor or Elinchrome brands, um, they're able now to really push it down, <clears throat> so you almost get like no light if you want to really work on like little details or just like light it up for one stop and not like 10 stops. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like you say, you know, the, the softness is, is going with the, with the flash. It's everything is really harsh. You need to put on like 10 diffusers or even flash in the opposite direction and bounce it off. Um, the only reason where, where I really like flash is for, for example, for beauty photography, because then you get like this insane crisp sharpness mm-hmm. that with, um, with other light, it's almost, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's just a bigger hassle to recreate that perfect, consistent sharpness on, for example, beauty shot shoots or product photography, for example. Yeah, and if you start getting into action stuff, if you start uh, trying to freeze time and you're yeah. trying to get your your actual shutter speed up, 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 you know, then it starts yeah. to become 
a thing. Um, it's it's interesting how, uh, as a photographer, I like to know both of them, and I and oftentimes I'll mix too, or I'll I'll bring in just a constant light, and then I'll be using strobes to do like the bulk of the heavy lifting for exposure. Yeah. Um, but it's fascinating, and they're so fucking expensive. Like pro photo stuff, Jesus. <laughs> God damn! You're just like, all right. So this this thing costs half a fortune to have, uh, and it's you know I will give Profoto this. They're consistent. So like when you're strobing with those things, the the color temperature is consistent every time you shoot with it. Yeah. Um, but I I I can I can't afford to fucking purchase those. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's you're at that point where you're like, all right, I guess I'll rent them when I need to rent them. And yeah, even because anyway, for your own project, is I mean, depends on your personal style, of course. But most of the people are not going to use this pro photo every no. day at home for their own project. So it makes no, sense to to buy them in my not at all. Opinion. Not at all. And then you, it always feels like such a waste for me because I've used one of those giant octobanks and you, you set it up and then you end up turning it away and turning it away and turning away. And I think I was talking to like a sales agent for it or something. And he's like, oh yeah, if you turn it almost all the way away, it's perfect right here. And I'm like, (laughs) you just, what is all this wasted material (laughs) that I'm literally not using? (laughs) I think this is mostly, you know, to impress the clients. So the client arrives on set and everything looks huge and it's like, okay. (laughs) And it's difficult. I mean, I remember the first time that uh, we had a big client like that. And I'm like, all right, we should just get these pro photo units. Well, they'll put out the output, they'll put out the power and it'll be fine. And I started to play with them. And you're right. They do put out so much damn light, so much light that you have to figure out how to dial it all the way down. And you're trying to figure out, um, it's it's the opposite. I always feel like the uh, consistent light and strobe light are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. Like consistent light, you can set up and you walk through it. And you can see it and you can see how it works. And with strobe light, you're constantly strobing and flashing and looking and trying and getting it and trying to find it uh, because you can't physically see it, you know? Exactly. And this is why I love, you know, the, the stable light, because then I can exactly form a shape in her face and I see it in, in, in real time, what is happening, where, where is the shine in her eyes. And this is something why it's funny because I'm, I just recently bought a, like a LED panel Mm -hmm. and I, I, I must say I fell in love with this thing because <laughs> it's uh, it's so light. You know, I can like bring it everywhere. Just uh, it's a little small case and uh, I can change as well the te- uh, color temperature. Yep. And yep. I can dial it, uh, dial it down so soft that you almost don't see a light, but there's still like a little shine or I can mm-hmm. like turn it on really, really big and it, it doesn't heat up. So I think... I really fell in love with the with the LED stuff for photography, where because it's like a good mix, you know. The you, there is even LEDs nowadays that that are able available to flash, so you you have both in one. You know, you have a lamp that you can just have stable light, or the LEDs can flash. So I think this is a really cool solution for for photography in in that point. Yeah, I mean, I think the past year, past two years, has been huge for lighting. I yes. think the the whole LED revolution is phenomenal. And I think, uh, especially when you start getting into movie lighting and cinema lighting, uh, you have, you know, like sky panels, airy sky panels, where you can literally dial in any swatch number from Roscoe into the back of the, the light and it will find that color. Yeah. Um, 
I've been playing a lot with uh, quasar tubes and LED uh, tube lights that are battery powered and they'll run for over six hours and you can uh, wirelessly hook them all up to your phone and just dial in the color temp off your phone. It's amazing with all the batteries as well. It's so, so cool. It's very cool, man. Like the, the new developments in light technology have been fucking phenomenal and it really changes and you're seeing it now when you watch tv shows and you're watching movies um the quality of light is is so different than it was i don't know say five six years ago no yeah so um and it's it's really funny because there is almost no appreciation to light you know you see all this new camera new megapixel six (laughs) 4k 60 nobody's like kind of talking about all the crazy light that is coming out and uh Kind of surprises yeah. myself in this way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, at the end of the day, I've talked about this in other episodes. At the end of the day, it's all about manufacturers trying to sell products. And for a while, the camera game was the big game. You know, in, at least in the cinema world, when you start going from like video cameras, for film cameras to video cameras, and then video cameras uh, came from like sports television, live broadcast. So in the beginning, they were very much. Uh, like an ENG big camera rig. And then once they figured out how to get DSLRs, like actual still cameras to shoot video, and then you're shooting through still lenses, that was a revolution. Yeah. Uh, and so there, it's been a good 10 years of like intense uh, updates and releases for camera stuff, but it's kind of plateauing right now. It's kind of hitting that point of like, okay, what difference does it make? If I shoot this on a red, if I shoot this on an airy, minor differences you know um you know if i shoot this 4k or 8k you know what what who cares <laughs> yeah. just, you're yeah. starting to hit that point and as an artist it's always difficult for me because you have to mix the tech with art um yeah. but with lighting i feel like it's more art than it, ever before it's like someone just showed up at, to a painter and said here's a whole new space age set of brushes like go crazy with it yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, photography is is actually painting with light. So I think everything, this, it was born this way, you know, from painting, we went to photography and then we went to film. So um, I think this is really, this is why, you know, the, the camera just takes the picture, but you create the whole mood and everything. You tell your story with the light and the subject you're photographing. It's not about the, the camera itself. Mm, that's, I mean, that's, that's really cool. For you, uh, okay, so what is your notion with lighting? Like, what, what what kind of lighting style do you like to do most of the time? Um, I really love just natural available light. If I, if I could choose what to do forever, it would be that, <laughs> to not use artificial light at all. Um, because That's weird. That's weird. How come? I just, I, I think it started because I'm lazy, so... <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning it was more kind of like oh i don't want to buy this expensive shit and like <laughs> it, it was kind of overwhelming like how does a flash work and everything you know yeah. um of course then when i got into photography more serious and i started getting clients it, it was a need to learn it but if it's just for my own creativity you know i think especially i i photograph a lot of outdoors mm-hmm. um i don't if you saw it on my portfolio and you, I love to just capture the moment how it was that day I photographed, or I mean, if it was if it was a hot summer day, I don't want to. I want to see the hot summer day. I don't want to see an artificial light in my shot. And I think this is something 
where in photography, you know, like you said, where it's where it's really different to film is that photography is really fast. So yeah. I'm able to shoot three pictures, three looks in, in half an hour. And if the light doesn't change drastically, I don't need that always the perfect light, you know, because mm-hmm. I already got it. I don't need to shoot the whole day, for example, the same mood outside. Got it. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of makes sense, man, because you're saying that your passion and your love between street photography and sort of getting into this documentary world is finding those moments and capturing those moments. Um, and that, I, that lighting style makes sense. Understanding that, you know, yeah. the, the only, the only way I, I use where I mix it outside is like, Oh, I really love the lightning on the back of the wall and everything, but I need a little bit more light on, on her face, for example. And then I help, I try to even do it with a reflector and mm-hmm. if that's, it's not enough or if it's like super overcast, um, I just, I just put on a, a little light and then, yeah, and then I'm ready. That's super cool, man. That's really cool. I, I, I love, the one thing I love about this business specifically, the photography business, is that there is no set of rules. There isn't. Uh, you know, no matter how many people like to try to package books and tell you how you're supposed to shoot photographs, like there's a hundred different ways to get an exposure. There's a hundred different ways to capture an image. Um, And I think at the end of the day, it really sort of, it really depends on why you're capturing an image and what it is that uh, you're connecting with emotionally. Yeah, Um, And then all that technical shit should fall into place with that initial emotion that you're trying to get, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. This, I think this is really where, where I, this is why the, the way I use light is like that because I'm not trying to, um, I mean, unless of course it, I'm not talking about commercial or in a studio shoot, but if I'm taking pictures of a model outside or of a person I find interesting, I don't want to fake the situation. I just want to have it the way it was, you know, like, oh, it was super cloudy and it was raining and or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, what I love about the photography. You know, you're literally capturing life. <laughs> like in the, in, <laughs> in the moment you see it, like with your bra- own eyes. And sometimes it's even frustrating because your eyes, on your eyes, everything, the sunset looks amazing. And then you take out your camera and you realize, okay, it looks better in real life. <laughs> <laughs> that is always frustrating. I mean, I... I I just did, I recorded an episode on lighting and I talk about uh, how I do my lighting. Um, and uh, one of the things that I suggest to people that are trying to figure out lighting, because I think lighting for most folks is this weird science. It's like you're a magician if you know how to, to, to figure it out. And I think it's just uh, changing the way you look at things. I remember the first time that I became aware of the fact that uh, there's a difference in color between outside light and inside light. And it blew my mind. And and just thinking about before that day, I didn't even realize that. It didn't even register in my brain. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think photography and film learns you how to see properly. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. It, it makes grow your third eye, you know, like you're saying. that. I mean, of course, you notice, you know, the sunset is warm light and in the morning it's cold, but or at night, sorry. But um, then you really truly understand, okay, what it, what effect, what which affection makes to the to the photo or to the video, you know, 
what 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 mood we we consider you know like a romantic uh, stereotype scene should be maybe warm and whatever and the sad scene should be cold because we all connect with certain moments in our life you know and i mm-hmm. think that that happens a lot of sub uh, subconsciousness you know like you remember childhood moments the beautiful moments where you're playing at the park and the sun was really warm and you saw all the little flies flying around <laughs> so then you realize oh shit this is warm light this is this beautiful where all the skin tones look nice and then you remember the sad day where maybe your mom locked you into your room because you <laughs> broke some stuff and kind of you you feel okay it was this cloudy day it was raining what you know you apply the mood from lighting to your to your photograph or to your videos and i think this is really something interesting how you learn to see even when you're not working you know you're like okay yeah this scene looks beautiful and i always imagine like if I'm looking at film, you know, <laughs> like, okay, this, that would be amazing. Imagine like now a left, a light comes in from the left. And so, yeah. Yeah. And you're essentially cataloging those emotional moments and trying to remember how those emotional moments felt and then looked at the same time. And I think that it, at the end of the day, if you're trying to learn about light, it's so important for you to just sort of change, to open up that third eye, as you said, and then really go around and start to catalog what you see and yeah. and how light so like if you see this beautiful light coming into your living room where's that light coming from and is that a direct light or is that a bounce light um and it, like what is light like when it's diffused through a shower curtain and what is light like if it's uh you know just a straight bulb hanging above you and how does that make someone's face look um and I, for me at least, I, I start to catalog all these different moments that I have with light. And, and since I started to get into it years ago and I started to play around with it, I get real fucking nerdy with it now where it's just like uh, I'll be out in some actual place and see what light's doing and literally start to make notes and go like, oh, cool, this mixture with this and this color temperature was really great with this. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you always go back on it. And if you're just someone that is a lighting technician and I've played that role before... Uh, you'll have a photographer come up to you and say, look, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I want for this quality of light. What what would you use or how would you get this? Uh, and you end up going back to that toolbox that you've created for yourself. Yeah, uh, definitely. But uh, so cool. like you say, you know, you're just trying to collect the memories and okay, how was it that day? You know, even the street where you live, every hour looks different. And this is something if you want to have exactly to recreate that look, you know, like you say, is a window light coming straight? Is it bouncing off a wall from the other building? And try really to understand how light works and shapes through objects. And I think this is something really beautiful because then you, even in your free time, you start to see the world in a different way. And you're not mm-hmm. just walking around and not noticing nothing. Exactly. And I I should also say that I think some listeners may hear the fact that you just go outside and you shoot as it, you know, and and take that as being easier than lighting it. But I actually think if you're shooting out in natural light, it's sometimes more difficult because you don't have as much control over what's happening. And so you have to be conscious of like time of day, where the sun is. Um, where you're placing your model in relation to the sun, uh, like all those are factors. And I think the difference between modeling your light 
And the difference between going out and shooting in light that exists is you actually have to change, physically change how you shoot things because of the sun. Does that make sense to you? Definitely. I mean, it's not, yeah, like you say, it's not easier, uh, especially if you're um, trying to get a picture that you already have in your head and you, you're walking around with the person you're going to photograph. It's the same scenario like if you would use um, lights because then you you start to understand, okay, I want to have a nice portrait of this, of this guy, for example, and I want to have his eyes sparkling. But then you realize, okay, super overcast outside. How are we going to manage to do this? And then you <laughs> really start how, um, to learn how to work with light because then you want to go to a, for example, you know, to a street where the sun or the light is reflecting, for example, through a window, which causes a little burst in the person's I, and then you have the same result, just you had to find it in nature, if that makes sense. <laughs> That's awesome, because at that point, you're hunting for everything. You're hunting for the location, you're hunting for emotional response, and you're also hunting for uh, light happening naturally, or almost accidentally, like you find it, and then you're trying to stage your stuff within that. That's cool, man. Yeah, exactly. It's always a mix between the both of them, you know. Something I love as well the surprises, you know, like oh, oh my god, where is this light coming from? And then you're just trying to to capture the moment as quickly as you can before the light disappears. <laughs> I think this is something the what which I love about photography is as well, you know, the hunting for the forever perfect picture, for the always uh, be better than you were yesterday to improve how you your inner eye sees you know how you react to stuff and and this is something as well beautiful in photography that there is no rules you know there is photographers that do super grungy edgy pictures where everything is super kind of you know technically speaking underexposed but it matches perfect the photograph they're taking so i think this is something as well to consider not everything has to be super bright and sharp and poppy colors so it really depends on what you're photographing or what what is the story you want to tell yeah completely agree and this is a good time i think to transition into uh documentary stuff so you you've started to make how long have you been doing uh documentary film work now um oh, actually this was my first one <laughs> okay so before that it was more um i'm half peruvian uh, okay so my father is peruvian he lives in peru um I'm living in Switzerland. My mom is Swiss. So um, when I was a child, I was uh, always traveling. And I, I let's say like um, I saw a lot of the world, even at a young age. I was traveling with my mom when I was young. So I always had like in my inner gut this feeling that I kind of want to, you know, take all these memories with me. <laughs> it, it was just it wasn't possible <laughs> <laughs> unless in my memories, of course. Um, but then. Uh, I went to Peru four times last year for this documentary film. And it was really interesting because uh, my dad is a musician. So, um, and he works for, for a rich guy in South America, which he wanted to do this film about the origin of music. And uh, so it was really interesting because we traveled through whole of South America, uh, sorry, through whole of Peru and, filmed and interviewed people from uh about you know because in every in every part of the world the music is really different you know and um so i i loved this mix between 
I'm sorry, I'm getting totally off the tracks. I, I don't even remember what I wanted to say, <laughs> why I got into documentary filmmaking. Um, I got into it like a year ago um, just because I was booked as a photographer, but then they kind of noticed, you know, oh, this guy kind of knows how to film as well. Of course, it's not on a... I always feel kind of weird saying that I, I'm filming because I have a huge respect for people that are real... DOPs, cinematographers, uh, directors. For me, it's more kind of the same as photography, just that the picture is moving. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, yep. I wouldn't consider myself that I got into filmmaking. It's more another creative outlet. I need to tell a story, you know? And um, yeah, this is how kind of got into it because I loved to have in the photo or in the video, you know, to have sound, how was it sounding in the rainforest, um, which you cannot see on a picture. This is why I kind of got into, into film. It makes sense. It's a, it's a new thing now. I think that once they uh, developed these film cameras that can also shoot video, I feel like that a lot of photographers are in that boat where suddenly their clients are coming to them uh and I don't want to be cynical, but I feel like a lot of clients are like, oh, we can save some, we can save some money. <laughs> you know? Like this, this guy, this guy's camera can also shoot video. So, and I've talked with a lot of photographers that have suddenly been thrust into that world where they're thrust into the, my clients also want me to shoot it video at yes. the same time. And it's totally two different mindsets. And I think out of that, you've, you've got this whole new genre of product, which are these really gorgeous sort of montagey uh, doc style pieces that are like they. I think they just sort of call them lifestyle pieces now, more than anything else. Which is essentially like, what can a photographer do? What can we get this photographer to do without a crew, with no money, and and just use their eye and sort of capture the atmosphere and capture the moment? Um, yeah. And I, it's this whole new thing that I think has been around, I don't know, I, I say new, but it's probably been around for like five years at least. Um, I'm fascinated with it. And and like your comment there where you said, I have the utmost respect for cinematographers and, and DOPs and all that stuff. It's two different jobs, really. Like, yeah, definitely. And you know, as a cinematographer, um, and I talk about this with a lot of other shooters, um, you're oftentimes not even the guy taking the picture. Most of the time, you're not even the one that's rolling the camera. Uh, the The job of a cinematographer is uh, a managerial position. It's a creative position. Uh, it's a father figure position. You you're you're actually in charge of an entire crew. It's it's a marriage position because you end up becoming married uh, creatively to a director and yeah. trying to convey their their message through your work. Um, it's very different than being a photographer that uh, also shoots video. I think photography for me has always been very much, you do collaborate with other departments and you collaborate with stylists and you collaborate with uh, makeup artists and all that. But as far as the shoot itself goes, it always seems very sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like very solo, very, uh, you, oftentimes as a photographer, I felt very alone creatively uh, because at least with the clients, they sort of go, you don't really need a big team. You don't need a lot. Grab your camera, grab your lenses and go do a job. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I, I completely agree with you on, on that point. It's more, yeah. Yeah. Like you say, it's, it's a, it's kind of a solo job. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, of course, there's a team, like you say, but at the end of the day, it's still in your head. You know, you're taking the picture. You're, you're, at the end, doing what you're. You're pressing the shutter, and I think on film sets. I mean, I I, I heard it from <laughs> most of your podcasts. I never have been to a real real film set, but you know, there is so many people involved that without them, it wouldn't be even possible. Yeah, dude. I mean, their hits. This is the the big difference to photography. You know, I can go out myself and shoot amazing photos. I don't need nobody. Of course, the team helps, but it's yep. so different. Yep, completely. I mean, when you're shooting, uh, if you're shooting like a big movie sh- uh, production, you have someone pulling focus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Which is a thing. I mean, because as a photographer, when I'm shooting. I'm finding focus and I'm finding those things naturally. And I'm just sort of sitting there looking through the lens going, oh, great. I, I'm going to force the perspective here or I'd like to see all of this. So I'm going to do that. Uh, there's this whole interesting line of communication that has to happen when you're on a film set because uh, you're trying to convey to somebody else now who's pulling focus. And you're trying yeah. to find that person that has that same ability um, to and that same instinct that you have. Yeah, and I think what what really happens uh, a lot nowadays, which you mentioned before, you know that um, you they know you as a photographer, and then you're like, oh, we're filming this little interview. Can you do that as well? You know, your camera must be able to film that. <laughs> and um, it's crazy that you know in this in this social media content um, creators, you know, where you to do these little videos for clients, but they don't want to hire a real film crew. So they just want to have somebody that does the pictures, the videos and everything. Um, it's crazy. Like in the last years, I had to learn so much new stuff, you know, because at the end of the day, like you say, I, I don't even have a crew anymore. So I need to be the sound guy. I need to be the light guy. I need to cut the video. I need to shoot the video and I'm doing the stills, you know, and oh. all for the price of, one person. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's something beautiful to be able to learn new stuff, but um, it's as well a curse, you know, because at the end I want to do photographs and I don't want to be the, the audio guy <laughs> because <Yeah. I've- laughs> I completely agree, man. Like it's so fascinating. Like I'll get hired. So I'll get clients coming to me and they'll hire me as a director, but half the time I'll get hired as a director because they also know I'm a photographer and they also know I'm a cinematographer. And so what they try to do is they they think that if they package it, it'll be cheaper. Um, and, you know, I'll even give them credit. They, some of them even think that the vision will all be uh, consistent because it's all coming out of one person. And in the beginning, if you're desperate, and you're and our business is a very desperate business because there's a lot of competition. So you're yeah, consistently... Huge. Yeah, you're bidding against other folks and you're trying to get the job. And so in the beginning, when you're desperate for work, you're like, sure, I can do all that. I can take care of all that. I can make it happen. And then you find yourself on the day doing stuff. And as a human, you only have a certain amount of bandwidth. You only have a certain amount of attention span to be able to put into each of these details. And I find something always suffers. And for me, if I'm doing a commercial and they're they're stamping on stills at the same time, stills suffer. Yeah, and, of course, definitely. Dude, and clients can't get it through their head where they sit there and they go, okay, great. We're going to shoot the video thing and then just swap it into photo mode or let's just bring it, we'll hand you a digital camera and we're going to shoot photos that are going to end up in a billboard. It's like, 
the lights alone, the lighting that I'm doing to make this look really good for a commercial and on film is completely different than the lights that you need to have this image printed uh, on the side of a bus because of the grain management and the noise management. Um, it's an interesting dilemma that a lot of photographers have to face today. Yeah, it's a one-man show. You know, you have to be able to pull off everything. And, uh, and like you say, that the competition is huge and there is always, you know, I, I think it's, what really pisses me off is that photographers don't help each other, you know. Mm -hmm. We sh should push up the price, you know. We should together say, like, no, I'm not going to do everything. But at the end, you know, there is this, there is one guy is going to do it, you know, somebody is going to do it. And the client is like, oh, amazing. We got this guy for $300. Why we should hire somebody for a real, for a real price. And I think this is really ruining this whole industry as well, especially here in Switzerland, because, you know, um, the, the people here earn quite good compared to the rest of the world or the rest of Europe, especially. And um, so, you know, every kid is, um, able to afford a really good camera mm -hmm. and then especially every day everybody is a photographer the next day <laughs> and then of course um this is this is you know the the problem nowadays i think is exactly this like i can hand my camera to everybody and put it on out on automatic mode and the picture is going to look decent you know it's going to be sharp yeah it's gonna be, you know it's not that hard anymore with the equipment we have nowadays and i think this is something but people underestimate what it takes, you know, to every day recreate the same thing if you want to recreate it and not just to have these lucky shots. And I think brands nowadays are really not thinking about the big picture. You know, it's all about content production every day, pushing out ads and create who creates the more videos and photos wins. And this is what makes the quality suffer a lot. And I think this is something really, really that people have to work together, you know, to kind of fix this issue. I agree. I completely agree. I'm a huge advocate for it. I think that um, the business is such a secluded sort of loner business being a photographer. Uh, and I think that it is such a cutthroat business. And some people uh, define themselves as a, an artist by the gear that they have, by the way that they shoot with lenses, Oh, all, yeah, definitely. It, all that stuff and so like it becomes very sort of cutthroat and quiet um and i think that if you are going to be successful and i think we're going to start to see a shift in the trend um because there's going to hit a point where uh the audience is just exhausted i think the audience is just inundated with photographs and, and decent photographs constantly that they're just exhausted by it and there's nothing special about uh, a specific type of photograph because you fucking see it at any time of the day. It's just yeah. coming at you through your phone, through advertisements, everywhere. Um, and I think that uh, people that are going to continue to get the work and long-running work are people that have uh, their own sense of style, that have their own uh, voice, uh, visual voice. And the only way to do that and to have that sort of thing is is really to... Uh, have faith in what it is that you want to talk about. Have uh, faith in saying no to work. To actually, uh, if like my, I'm a firm believer that if you're going to do something that is good for your career, 
if a giant brand comes to you, like a huge brand shows up and there's a multiple bidding process and you're bidding against like, you know, 12 other photographers, you know, at the end of the day, they're just going to pick the cheapest at the end of the day, unless it's a name, unless it's somebody that has a style, a story and a name that they can then cross brand with. So completely agree. Don't do that job. If you and it, it, whenever someone comes to you and says this is a perfect opportunity, this is amazing for you, and you're going to be able to do this stuff, and if you give it to them for free, you're giving to to a company that is supposed to be supporting you as an artist later in life, free work. So, yeah. where do you go from there? So if if everybody's giving Reebok free work, Reebok is the kind of company that keeps you employed. So, what's the yeah. next step? You know. And they're never going to, after that, hire you for a real price, you know, because you did it for free already. And then they're going to try to hire another guy that is going to do it for free. Exactly. And then once you do it for free, they lock you down. Someone told me this once. It's totally true. Whatever your first quote is for a job with a client, they lock you in that hole. So if you you come out and say, hey, I could do it for this. And they go, yeah, it's great. This is a one-time thing. It's always going to be that. It will always be that number yeah what i think what is really funny about this is sometimes you know when you get this uh, job offers you actually don't want to do and then you know you kindly respond and maybe you even put a a tremendous price tag on it because you're you you think they're not going to hire you anyway (laughs) but then they hire you because the candidate feel you don't want the job, you know, it's as soon as the client starts to smell that you're desperate to get a job, then they're trying to fuck you up. But when you're in the position to like, no, I don't care, you know, I don't, I don't need this job. Then they're, they're getting more interested. You know, it's like with, with girls, as soon as you <laughs> ignore them, they're coming to you. <laughs> it's very true, man. It's very true. And I, I you know, and I've, I've, I've had conversations with people where they're like, well, how do I develop my style? How do I develop my stuff if I'm not working for people? I think you're better off self-financing um, your own work, your own development work. So like if you're going to come up with a spec project or a project that you're going to practice, you're better off self-financing it than you are giving it away to a company. Or if, if there's a small company that you know that respects you as an artist and they're like, hey, we'll throw you some money to create something, create something for us. That's different. Yeah, and no, if you- that's, that's amazing if that happens. I love this kind of, of, of jobs, you know, where you're, they're just like, do whatever you want. We love your style. Here's the, the money to, to make that happen. And then, you know, this is the, I think this is the best thing that can happen as an artist. Yeah, and, and communicate with other photographers. And I think that photographers should not be ashamed of talking about how much they got paid for jobs. And I think that uh, some photographers are concerned, like, if I tell them how much I get paid, then they'll just underbid me. No, if we all talk about how much we got paid from that client, then we all understand what that client is willing to pay. Exactly. So they can't actually do the whole backdoor, hey, we convinced a job that we were going to pay $30,000 to one photographer for, we got this guy to do it for $2,000. Definitely. That's that's huge. That's a huge fucking difference in price. And I think, I think this is what, what I mean exactly. You know, I had this big job like uh, a year ago where um, I had an agent back then, an agency, I'm not with them anymore. And, you know, 
I, it's the first time I didn't have to negotiate myself a price. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away by the huge difference, you know, between, because when you, when you say yourself a price, let's say, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it's okay. It's $10,000. You feel like, oh my God, am I worth $10,000? <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, you, you're not paying my hours. You're, you're paying all the years of trying to create my own style. Besides, of course, of buying the old the shit expensive gear. Yep. It's as well, it's like I invested in this job, you know, maybe another person went seven years to university. I was seven years <laughs> fucking hustling and every day almost not being able to pay the bills, not to the client that cannot pay me well. You know, I didn't went so long suffering to this point that somebody is going to be like, oh, I'm going to give you $500 for that. Yeah, I never understood that because then you'll have a client sit there and go like, well, why do I have to pay for all of your development? And then what I want to do is just hand them the camera and go, well, then take the photograph, like take the photograph. You don't have any of that development time and any yeah. of that time that's put in there. And I'll tell you what, okay, you can't take this photograph. Well, here's what you do. Quit your job and then spend three years learning how to take the photograph the way I would take that photograph and then you come back to me and decide whether or not you think it's worth paying. And that put another three years on top to develop your own style. <laughs> exactly. 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 I think it just comes down to the whole customer is always right game. I mean, it happens here in the U.S. a lot where, you know, customer is always right. Customer is the person in charge. And at the end of the day, you have to remember as a photographer that your skills, if you're good, your skills are going to make this person that has this product or that has this thing that they're trying to sell a lot of money because exactly. you, yeah. your visual interpretation of what this is or your uh, ability to create a false reality around what this product is, is going to make them loot. It's, it, just, it just comes down to that. And you have to remember that. And half the time when these guys... Uh, or guys or girls that undercut you from creative teams and they're sitting there going, well, we actually have a budget of 25000 but look what I did. I got it for $2,000. That's chump change for them. And that, that money's going to go end up in an account somewhere. It's not like they're going to get high-fived by their boss and suddenly get like the parking spot at their facility. It's, it's chump change. It's nothing to them. Yeah, no, Definitely. So, you know, at the end of the day where they're saying like, hey, this is, this is a deal and you're really doing me a favor and you're doing me... A, no, you're not. I mean, they're just trying to look good to their boss that they make a salary at. They actually get a salary paid position there. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And, you know, especially nowadays with this whole social media thing, you know, um, the clients think, you know, they own the pictures. They can use them forever on all their advertising channels. You and know. everything, you know, I, I, I find like most clients forget there exist buyouts and stuff like that, you know, and then we yeah. have to argue with them that you have to pay a certain amount of money to use the pictures for a year. <laughs> they completely don't understand why, you know, and I think this is really hilarious oh. at some point. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Like Instagram itself is such a powerful tool um, if you are an artist to getting your work out there, but these social media platforms that require a constant stream of content. Um, if you're a business and you're trying to compete, if you're trying to compete with average Joe citizen that is just taking pictures and putting them up every two or three or four times a day, 
Playing by the rules and paying for royalties and paying for those releases will put these businesses out of business if they're trying to keep up with the constant data stream that's out there. So it's a fascinating dilemma because they, they know that they have to try to keep up. And then you as a photographer also have to realize, look, I probably can't price my my rates for licensing at the same level that I would for print campaign because they need to do this stuff more frequently. There has to be like an in-between there. There has to be a meeting in the middle where you that, go. Yeah. And this is so that this is the interesting part, you know, because if in real life, who reads a magazine, you know, right. your advertising is going to be seen by so many less people than if you would put it on social media, for example, with the right advertising budget. So now, you know, at the end, it's going to see more pictures and uh, more people are going to see the picture if it's, you know, that you put in $5,000 into a Facebook ad. So many people is going to see this picture compared to a magazine. Yep. So I think, like you say, you know, you have to find this middle sweet spot where the client kind of understands what's going on, you know, that he's making money with the, with the photos or with the videos you created for them. Yep. Yeah. And I, I don't think that every client is very... I don't think they're all evil corporations and, oh, and I, you know, I'm stealing from this guy and look at all the money I'm making. I just think that they just don't understand. Yeah, and I think it's, it's a mix. You know, I, I know clients, that, especially in Switzerland, you know, everybody is really polite and every, most of the big companies really play by the rules. So there's not a lot of black sheep out there. <laughs> um, but like you say, you know, they, they either or don't know it or at the, at the same time, they kind of feel overwhelmed like you say you know that oh my god we have to deliver so many photos for our social media team how we're gonna gonna keep up with paying a photographer to do that job and yeah. uh, i think i mean of course i understand you know we're all humans if a little sweet um guy that just opened a little coffee shop down the street you know i'm not gonna price him a buyout <laughs> um because i just i want to genuinely do some nice photos for that guy and just get my day rate and then I'm fine. You know, it's, um, but like you say, if that corporation is making millions of dollars a year, um, it's a, it's a different standpoint. I, yeah, completely. I always say to people when they ask me how I price things, I always say you need to examine how they're going to make money on it. So you, you need to examine where the photo is going to be used, what their return on investment is going to be for it. Yeah. Um, and like you said, if it's just, uh, some little guy that just opened up a coffee shop and he's just getting started um, and you really like what they do and you like the opportunity and you want to have some fun, you want to do that, then price it accordingly for that. But what I try to do for folks that don't can't afford the day rate, can't afford that stuff, I will always say, hey, look, we'll, I'll do a shoot, but I'll do a shoot and you'll get one or two images out of the shoot and that'll be at this price. But then you can always come back to the well. I have all these different photographs. I have all this stuff. So as your business gets better, you can come and purchase more things. Exactly. And, and in the long run, you end up making what you should have made if you do it correct. Um, it's just a longer game. And that's a good way to get in with people that don't, that you know genuinely don't have the budget to do that sort of thing. Um, but the reverse of that, when you start dealing with these big corporations, that are like, uh, we own every image that you shoot and it's part of our deal that we get the raws and we get, uh, you know, everything. Never give out, never give out the raws. <laughs> yeah, too. And they bully. They will bully you. 
like some of these big corporations, I've been in like long conversations, long phone yelling matches yeah. uh, with, with folks that are trying to bully you into it and saying like, we deserve all this and this is what we're doing. And, or they'll say to you like, send us the images huge because we're doing a layout. We need to try to figure that out. And please don't watermark the images. And you're just sort of like, yeah, but then you could use the images for whatever. Yeah, but you trust us, right? And, and <laughs> it's like, first off, if I... If we had a trusting relationship, then you never would have had to say that, first off. Yeah. And then and then second, you're just a hired producer or creative at that company. And I know how fast that company turns around creatives and producers there. So you may not be there in a year or two years. Yeah. And so my trust and, and the conversation has happened with you, but you may move on. And so now this company that fired you <laughs> has control over all of my images still. So it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, so just be cautious if you're a younger photographer and be aware that there are bullying tactics that happen from these large corporations and not because the person that is doing so is an evil person or, or a spiteful person. They just get that mandate from their bosses and their bosses tell yeah, them definitely. this is what we do. And this is how we do it, you know? And they maybe even get a, a bonus, you know, because they saved some money up at the end of the year. Yep. So yep. I mean, I would do the same maybe if I would that if I would be that person and if I wouldn't know the creative field. You know, it's not like you say they're not evil. It's just yeah, it's business, and, and it's on us to have these conversations. I'm happy that we started to talk about this because I think that anytime uh, I like to interview. Uh, photographers, it, I think most of the time when people start to talk about it, they talk about the romance and they talk about what it's like to be a photographer and the gear and the equipment. And that is all like a really big part of it. But what most people don't talk about is the day to day. Like, exactly. like, you know, how often do you get paid? You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, even when you did the job, it's not that the money is going to come next week. <laughs> Sometimes you wait a couple of months. Oh my God. Client. Oh my God, the whole like net 60 or whatever they call it, where they're, they go through their pay cycle and they're like, we're not going to pay you for 60 days. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, not only uh, do I need my rate, but you also asked for specific gear that I had to rent and crew people that I have to pay. And so uh, I, I like to try to tell folks all the time, if you're dealing with a client that has that sort of net billing uh, you try to start invoicing before the job. And then what I try to tell people is that I want at least 15%, if not 50% upfront for costs. Yeah, definitely. I would recommend this to everyone, you know, to uh, even, you know, like a prepayment, even before you agree. And if something changes, you have your money, you, you're on the safe side, you, you're able to pay all the renting gear or whatever, and because sometimes it can take even, you know, half a year till you get your money. So oh. I think it's really important to have that sort of prepayment. And I think if a brand or a company you're working for is honest and is really want to work with you and don't want to rip you off, you know, they will not have a problem to do a prepayment. And I think as, as soon as you, you, you see they're like, oh, no, we're not able to do a prepayment. Something is weird, you know, <laughs> then I'm, I'm like, okay probably this company is going to take forever to pay me, you know? Yep. So I think this is really important to, to be just on the safe side. And you know what? It's that mindset. It's the mindset of, 
I'm not just the one being interviewed here. I'm also interviewing my client. Exactly. You know, and, and making sure that when you're in that bidding process, you're not sort of caught up in the whole, I need this job. And you're not bringing all of your outside stresses into that bid. So you're not bringing the, oh my God, I don't have rent in my bank account. I don't have this in my bank account. You need, you need to go into a bid process clean and clear. Exactly. Uh, because you'll make bad you'll make bad decisions if you don't. Definitely. And this brings me to the point from before, you know, when you you have to feel really confident, you know, you you cannot make the client feel that you need him, you know, he needs you as well. So this is something really important, you know, negotiating a, a price or something that there is this connection that he feels that he needs you and you you need you need him, you know, because otherwise you're going to be ripped off anyway. <laughs> so this has been good stuff. This has been a really good conversation. We're, we're clocking in at almost an hour and a half. And this is generally where I, I try to cap it off. Um, is there anything that, uh, is there any sort of advice that you have for a younger filmmaker? Is there anything that uh, you wanted to talk about that we didn't discuss? This is usually when I let you have the floor. Yeah. Um, it has been great till now. It was really amazing talking to you. Um, I think my biggest advice would be stop trying, you know, this whole learn how to be a filmmaker, download whatever <laughs> preset, stuff <laughs> like that, YouTube channels. I mean, YouTube is a great source of information. Uh, there's great tutorials and everything, but I think it's really doing what you love, you know, because when I, when I see Instagram, for example, I see 30 photographers and everybody does the same picture, you know especially yep. those travel photographers where it's even the same location, you know, it's the exactly same photograph. And what I want to say by this, you know, that you really should photograph or film what you feel like you want to film because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to get booked because of that and not because you're copying for the third time someone else. And I think <laughs> this is the, the most important part about this is just to, to do what you, what you love, what you feel is right what kind of stories you want to tell and don't do it because of the, Oh, it's cool that way. You know, that's good advice, man. Or that's it's popular. You know, this whole, it has to be popular stuff because uh, the industry changes. You know, if you look at big advertising fashion campaigns nowadays, they're super edgy, which I, I love that it's that way, you know, but, but now everybody is doing edgy pictures because they think they're going to be booked more, because of that but the, it's going to change again it's always changing so at some point you're going to be hired because of what you're doing your way i hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as i did i had a lot of fun talking with maurice and uh it was actually a great out of nowhere episode and you know what take this as an example guys i listen to what you say on instagram i respond to emails so if you have some work that you want to show me if there's a guest that you think should be on the show definitely write to me uh, because i when i have the chance to do so i go through the emails and who knows you could potentially be on the show too um but please continue to support me. Go uh, to my accounts on Instagram. You can either check out my personal account, which is at Mike Petchy on Instagram. And there I'm usually showing off 
Uh, besides the normal, here's the food I eat and here are the beers I drink, um, there's a lot of like quick behind the scenes bits and pieces on upcoming projects that we're putting together. We have a bunch of really cool, exciting new work coming out this year, which I can't wait to show off. Um, but it, uh, it's also a place where I like to give shout outs to a lot of my friends and a lot of the people that are working on amazing projects around me. Um, but you can also go to the In Love With The Process POD account. That's In Love With The Process POD. Um, and there is where I do all the official posts for the podcast. Uh, that is a great place to get in touch with me. You can write me messages. You can leave responses. Uh, feedback is so important to the show. And I really appreciate it. And if you uh, want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do so. You can either uh, click a donation button at inlovewiththeprocess.com. There's like a $5 donation button. All the money that I raise for that goes to paying for expenses for the show. Or if you don't feel like reaching it into your wallet, uh, and if you haven't signed up for a trial, free trial at audible.com yet, um, you could do so using our name. So I think it's something like uh, audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I'll put the link below. I'm so terrible with these uh, reads. Um, but there, if you sign up, they have a 30-day free trial. It comes with a free book. Um, and if everybody that signs up through our name uh, we get some loot. So it doesn't cost you any loot to give us some loot. You get 30 days free trial. Try it out. If you like it, stick with it. Uh, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of really awesome stuff on Audible. Um, but if you don't like it, you can always cancel and we still get paid. So it's a win-win situation all the way around. Um, but uh, at the very least, guys, if you love this show, if you like this show, grab graphics from me, steal stuff from my website, pull stuff down from in love with the process and post about it brag about it to your friends and i know that there's a lot of people out there looking for new podcasts to listen to some folks have a long trip to work i know that if you live in la every fucking day is a long trip um so definitely send them our show let them know that you found it first and i will forever be grateful to you guys um so as always thank you for listening and i love you all <laughs>